Hey everybody, what's going on? Uh, hopefully I have the, okay, just I forgot to check if the microphone was still on. Uh, but yeah, so hey everybody, it's Monday night and I'm here doing a little movie discussion like I would normally do on Monday night. Um, so probably, because a lot of you guys asked me about it on the uh, YouTube um, you know, community tab thingy or whatever, like an update um, on Tom's dad. And um, I hate to say, but it's not really um, great news. Seems like yesterday he kind of rallied and he seemed like he was a little bit better. But today um, Tom went there and his other family members are there. And basically this evening the doctors told them, well, you know, we've done all that we can for him. And we don't think that he's going to recover so they are making arrangements to take him to hospice tomorrow so i asked tom i'm like you know are you okay and stuff like that and tom's like yeah i'm fine he's like i was expecting this so it's like at least i was here you know what i mean so it's that like um so i said well do you want me to update everybody on the show and he said yeah he said <laughs> he said to tell you guys that um nature's taking over <laughs> that's what he said because he's like his dad is just at this point is just like sick of this shit you know what i mean um he's in a lot of pain he has like multiple things going on at one time and he's just like i'm just kind of tired of being in the hospital and he's just tired of dealing with it so we'll see what happens but they are going to take him to hospice tomorrow so last because so tom i think is still at the hospital i just talked to him about 20 minutes ago so that's uh what's going on with that and like i said i thought everybody would want an update so as i said i'm not entirely sure um when tom's gonna be back he said that he's like well i wanted to come back before the end of the week because i don't want to have to pay to rent the car for another day because he paid for the car rental for a week and he's like and it was kind of expensive so he's like i don't want to you don't have to go over but we'll see how it goes you know what i mean like i said i can do the show without him um you know if i need to but he's kind of wanting to be back like before the end of the week so we'll see how that goes but yeah um like i said i talked to him he's he seems fine um you know what i mean like i said he was expecting it and he was just glad that he got to be there but like we'll see what's gonna happen you know what i mean so i might talk to him on uh maybe like over facetime or something like that like later on because we talked last night too but um but yeah Danny says, is that a wig or is that your actual hair? It's my actual hair today, actually. Um, my hair was getting so fucked up and messy looking that I was just kind of like, Jesus Christ. I got up this morning and I was like, I really need to cut my bangs and I really need to like do my roots again and shit like that. So I cut the bangs and everything. I, so it's funny because I went out to, I had to run a bunch of errands today. Like I had to return some shit and all this other stuff. And um, so I stopped and got lunch at this like little Italian place. And I sent Tom a picture He's like, oh, send me a picture of the place. So I sent him a picture of the restaurant, and then I took one of myself. He's like, oh, you cut your bangs. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, finally. Because they were getting to a point where they were just, like, way down here in my eyes, and I had to, like, sweep them over to the side, and I fucking hate having to do that. But I'm just, like, too lazy. It's like, I'm so lazy that I never cut them. It only takes a minute. I don't know why I do that. But, yeah, so finally. <laughs> finally, I cut them today. So, yeah, I do like them a lot better when they're short, but they grow super fast. Uh, Tammy says, got my mom's arrangements all finished today. I got to go to her apartment tomorrow and start cleaning that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just kind of like whatever happens with Tom's dad, it's like, you know, they're going to have to go through, uh, you know, all, all of his stuff and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know like what he wanted for a funeral. And so I don't really know what's going on there. You know what I mean? But I just wanted to like kind of update everybody 
um, you know, at one time, so you guys knew what was going on. But you know, it's kind of a bummer. But like you said, I was expecting it. I'm, just, you know, I'm bummed out because of that, and I'm also bummed out because you know Tom's not here, and you know I miss him and stuff, and so I want him to come home. But you know what I mean? It's like he's got to do what he's got to do. It's weird him not being here. Well, because like I said, the only time in how long have we been together for 13 years or however long we've been together the only time we've ever been apart i think we've only been apart two weeks plus five days in that entire 13 years that's the only time you know what i mean um so it's so it's weird like him not being here you know what i mean because we're almost always we're not like joined at the hip or anything but we're almost always like in the house together you know so it's it's just very strange him not being here. The cats are freaking out. It's like they don't know what's going on and everything. So, you know, I'm just kind of hoping he comes back. But, you know, uh, are you food cheating on Tom? <laughs> hey, he's food cheating on me, too, because it's like he but he sent me a thing. And it's like yesterday he's like, hey, I found this Chinese buffet and, uh, you know, the little town that he's in. He's like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's not as big, but they have some different stuff. And then like last night he was like, oh, I'm at this place called Wards, which I guess is a chain but it's only in Mississippi. Like, cause I was like, I never heard of that. Cause he sent me the sign and he's like, oh, they have such a cool logo and all this other stuff. And I was like, I never really heard of that. And um, he's like, yeah, they have like chili burgers and hot dogs and stuff like that, like Southern stuff, biscuits. And um, yeah, he said it was pretty good. But yeah, he was sending me pictures of the, <laughs> of the stuff of the place and the sign and everything. So he's doing a lot of food cheating, okay? And I was, like I said, I was out running errands today and I was like, man, I really, I don't, you know, I don't like cooking. So you know what I mean? I, I know that's pitiful, but it's I could cook if I wanted to, but it's like I just don't want to. So it's like whenever he's not here, I'm just like, shit, man, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna go to Publix and get a sub or something like that. But I was up by the UPS store because I had to return a bunch of stuff, and um, you know there was like this little Italian place over there. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's any good. So I went in there. It was pretty good actually, and it was um, the lunch special was actually quite reasonable. It was nine bucks, and you got like a I got a big thing of pasta and a like, big thing of garlic knots, and I was like, shit, man. That's all I ate today because <laughs> it was that was plenty. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Tammy said, "Yeah, the hubs didn't come up here with me because my mom's basically just having a small viewing. Then it's getting cremated. Plus, we have two dogs and two cats. He's taking care of." Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like when this whole shit first happened. Like Tom was like, "Well, why don't you come with me?" And I was just like, "Well, okay." But then I was like, "Oh wait, it's like who's gonna take care of the kitties?" And it's I, I don't want to leave them alone. They will flip out. Um, and I was like, and also like freelance work like I have freelance work coming in whenever and I kind of have to do that like when it comes in and it's I didn't want to have to take like 40 bajillion laptops and all this other kind of shit so you know what I mean um but you know so I was like well that sucks but Tom's like it's okay it's you know he's like I'll be back soon don't worry about it so like I said we'll see how it goes but I'm kind of bummed out but you know let's cheer ourselves up though by talking about a movie from the 1940s about a serial killer. <laughs> this is actually a really, really good movie. Uh, Subjective Perspective Collective says, I still haven't seen The Spiral Staircase, but I've heard it's a proto-giallo. Um, we'll watch it sooner than later. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know if I'd call it a proto-giallo. It's kind of a proto-slasher, though, uh, for real. Which I know that giallo and slasher are kind of similar, but giallo is very specific. This does have some very slashery elements to it. Now, the reason that I wanted to do this one is because I'm still working on this gargantuan video that I'm doing that's a history of horror movies. Like I said, I think I talked about it, I was talking about it a long time ago because I was like, oh, I wanted to get it up for Halloween. 
that didn't even come close to happening. I got maybe like half of the script written and then I was like, oh my God, there's no way. Um, so then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get up for Christmas or maybe I'll get up for New Year's. And still, um, it is like I had the script all written. It's actually about half done, like as far as the editing goes. Um, I'm at the end of the 1970s. So I just have like a few more decades and then it'll be done. Like I said, I'm hoping to get it up. I was hoping to get it up by the end of last week, but obviously that didn't happen because a bunch of other stuff intervened. Like I said, Tom having D.O. and all this other kind of stuff and I didn't really feel like working on it. But, um, but I am going to get it done. But the thing about it was that while I was working on that and I was going back through um, the, all the classic old movies from, you know, the day and everything... And I was talking about the 1940s and I was just kind of like, oh man, The Spiral Staircase, I remember seeing that a really long time ago. And that was another one that I wanted to rewatch because I remember really liking it. And I was like, oh, I should rewatch that and like do a review on it because, you know, like I said, I remember really liking it. Now, as far as, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere else, I watched it on Plex for free. So whether it's on another streaming platform, I don't know, but that's where I found it. Like you might have, to, I don't, did it have commercials? It might have had commercials. Now I can't remember. It was a couple days ago that I watched it. But I mean, Plex usually has commercials. But they have a bunch of stuff on there that's free. There's You can usually find it for free. And I found it for free. So this movie... because Okay, so I feel like... And this was kind of um, reinforced to me when um, I was... When I, you know, since I've been working on this History of Horror Movies video. It's always like been hard for me... Because I love horror movies from every decade, right? The 1940s is the hardest for me to, like, find. There's good shit, but it's not as much. Because it does kind of seem like a lot of the movies that came out in the 40s, there was kind of a lull, you know what I mean? Because, like, after the big, like, Universal Monsters and everything like that in the 30s, in the 1940s, it seemed like everything was just, like, sequels to the Universal Monster movies. And then, like, in the mid-40s, you know, it was World War II and people weren't really going to the movies as much. And it's like they didn't really seem to want to go to horror movies in particular. So it seemed like in the mid-1940s, it seemed to go more in like a psychological horror thriller direction. Um, you know, like Alfred Hitchcock, like he made Spellbound. I think that was 1945. And then this movie came out in 1946. And this one... It's like I said, it's usually called a psychological horror or a thriller. It has some kind of film noir uh, kind of aspects to it as well. Um, the funny thing to me was that at the time in 1946 when it came out, it was actually called a mystery romance, which I guess, <laughs> I mean, there. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a romance. There is kind of like a little bit of a love story in it, but it's not like a sappy love story. You know what I mean? It's kind of on the, just on the fringes. But, um, and, and like, uh, subjective perspective said, this is, this has been called a proto slasher and I can totally see why, because even though obviously the term serial killer did not exist until like the seventies, I think before that I'd seen it called mass murder. I'd seen phrases like that thrown around, but I'd never seen serial killer used until the 1970s, but this is absolutely about a serial killer. Um, you know, I've like I said, there've been ones before that. I mean, you know, Fritz Lang's M, that was from the 30s. That was about a serial killer. Um, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like it that they never did it, but it was just kind of like that was more like they didn't really call those horror movies. And they didn't call this a horror movie either. And I don't know if I call it a horror horror movie. It's psychological horror, it's a thriller. Kind of it's like psycho kind of. But it's proto psycho. 
So, um, the yeah, the thing about it is that there's stuff in this that probably a modern slasher fan would recognize in the sense that I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's like, oh, like, you know, point of view shots from the killer and stuff, but it is kind of like that, you know what I mean? Because you do kind of see things from the killer's perspective. Um, there are some kind of Giallo-esque elements where they show, like, close-ups of eyes, like the killer's eye and stuff like that, like in a shadow, which is kind of cool. Um, so you can see where the kind of slasher thing came from, and this totally has that. So this was actually directed by... Um, Wait a minute. Yeah, Allison says uh, she's mute, not deaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's right. Yeah, she's mute. She's not deaf, um, but she can't talk. Yeah, we'll get into that. So this was directed by uh, Robert uh, Siadmak, uh, the German director. Now, he did a shit ton of movies, not just horror movies, um, just a ton of different kinds. Um, but I think probably horror fans will know him for directing Son of Dracula from 1943. Um, that was where I knew him from because I knew that name. So the movie is actually adapted from a novel that came out in 1933 and it was called Some Must Watch by Ethel Lena White. Now this is, uh, this is crazy. I didn't actually know this, but this was apparently a very popular novel to adapt because even prior to the movie coming out, they had done like a radio play of it, um, you know. And after this movie came out, like three years later, they did another radio production of it in 1949. And then it got three more film adaptations. There was one in 1961 that had um, Elizabeth Montgomery, like famed from Bewitched, um, and Lillian Gish in it. And then there was one in 1975 that had Jacqueline Bissett in it. And one in 2000 that had Nicolette Sheridan in it. I have seen none of those. Um, and a lot of them seem kind of hard to get hold of. So I don't know if they were all that good. I think the 2000 one might have been made for TV. Or maybe the 1975 one was made for TV. I can't really remember. But it's just weird that there's like five or six different adaptations of this like one book. That lady must have been... The lady that wrote it must have just been raking in the royalties. I'm just saying it was adapted so many times but like i said i think the more recent you know the one from the 60s and 70s and uh 2000 um i hadn't heard of those so i so i don't know if they're any good or not i mean i would assume that they, if they were any good that people would talk about them so i don't know so what happened with the 1946 version is that uh the famed producer david o selznick he had actually bought the rights to the novel. Now, he was going to cast Ingrid Bergman in the lead. But then later on, you know, various things happened. And he ended up selling the rights to the book, as well as a bunch of other rights, like to other properties that he owned, to RKO Pictures. Because he wanted to fund this Western that he was making. And he's like, well, I don't need this stuff. So he just sold it to RKO. So RKO starts production on the movie in 1945 and they put Dorothy McGuire in the lead role she's great in this by the way now she actually won an Oscar like a more than a little more than a year after this uh, for the 1947 movie Gentleman's Agreement um, I recognized her from Old Yeller uh, from 1957 she was in that and she was also in Swiss Family Robinson from 1960. So you might recognize her from that too. Because I knew she was familiar. And then I looked it up and I'm like, oh yeah, that's where I know her from. 
Um, also, this movie has uh, just a fantastic performance by uh, the legendary Ethel Barrymore, who was an actor for more than 60 years, I believe. Obviously, the Barrymore family, very famous acting family. Um, she was known as the First Lady of American Theater. So she's in this, too. And I love her in this. She's fantastic. She just plays this crotchety old lady. <laughs> she's, she's great. So, um, oh, Allison says, Dorothy McGuire was great in Enchanted Cottage. Oh, I should see that, actually. Because I, uh, I don't think I've ever seen that. So... The story of the spiral staircase is actually, I didn't really realize this, this when I was watching it, but then when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh yeah, I guess so. It's set over a, whole, a day and a night. So it's just a single day, pretty much, that, the, that all of the shit happened. So it was quite a day, is what I'm saying. Now, it's actually set in the early 20th century. Um, I don't know if they say specifically in the movie, but when I looked it up, they said it's supposed to be 1906. So there's that. And it's in this little village in Vermont somewhere, like, you know. So Dorothy McGuire plays the main character, whose name is Helen. Now, she's a mute woman, and she works as this kind of caregiver, companion-type person to this kind of sick old woman who lives at this massive, you know, kind of family estate, right? So the beginning of the movie, it's Helen's day off, and she's at this inn- I guess, like a hotel type thing, like in the village. And they're doing like a movie showing. Cause I guess this is 1906. So they didn't have movie theaters per se. They just kind of had this room with like a curtain across it. And you went in there to like, and they had a projector, you know what I mean? So that's what she, with a bunch of chairs. So that's what she's doing. She's sitting there with a bunch of other people, like watching a silent movie. Now, while her and the other people are watching movie, you know, this is an inn or a hotel or whatever. So people live there. So there's a bunch of rooms upstairs. So while they're all watching the movie, this woman in one of the rooms upstairs gets murdered. Now, this woman has what all of the characters refer to as an affliction, which in modern parlance you would call a disability, right? Um, in her case, I believe she's a paraplegic. So they have, like, the constable comes there and, like, everybody's freaking out and then he's questioning everybody. And he gets some, he gives some exposition about, um, this is actually the third recent murder, uh, that has happened. And all of the victims were disabled somehow. Like this one is a paraplegic. There was one that had like a really bad, um, like a disfiguring scar on her face. And then there was one that was quote unquote, simple minded. <laughs> That's what he said. So I was like, okay. So, so again, this is three victims now. So we have an official serial killer. Now, because this is kind of a small town, evidently, and everybody knows Helen and knows about her muteness, they start getting concerned that she's going to be the next target, right? So she's at these, this inn and they're like, well, it's a two mile walk back to your, well, it's not her house, but it's where she works. And I presume she lives there as well. She's like a live-in caregiver. Um, so they're like, okay, well, it's two miles away, so you better, like, hurry up and get there before it gets dark. You know, you don't want to get murdered, too, because you never know what might happen, right? So she's walking home, and luckily for her, she gets met on the road by a friend of hers who also turns out as a pot potential suitor. That's where the romance part comes in. Uh, and his name is Dr. Perry, and he's played by Kent Smith, who I immediately recognized from Cat People from 1942, the Jacques Tourneur movie. 
who um that Val Luton produced. And he actually gives her a lift back to the house, like in his horse and trap, handsome. What do they call that? I don't know. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's like the little thingy. Um, did it have a horse? Oh shit! Now I can't remember. It wasn't a car car because it was 1906. So there's kind of like a bit of a subplot. It kind of plays into the story like a little, not hugely, but there is like a little bit of a sideline where Doctor Perry is apparently kind of new in town. And so he has something of a rivalry going on with um, the village's kind of crotchety old doctor, whose name is Dr. Harvey. So there's kind of a thing about that where he, where the old guy is like, you know, you're stealing my patients, young upstart, blah, blah, blah. And there's this whole thing about patients. Oh, he called me instead of the old guy and stuff. So, you know, there's kind of that plays into the whole thing too, a little bit. So um, subjective perspective said, are you doing spoilers? Um, I probably will because the movie is so old. So, yeah, I probably should have said that. <laughs> Allison said, I saw the one with Nicolette Sheridan, not awful. Oh, okay. I didn't even know it existed until after I saw this one. You know what I mean? That's crazy. I don't think I ever saw a single thing that Nicolette Sheridan was in. Not that I remember. Now I'm going to have to watch them. It's, it's all kind of interesting. Danny says, Ingrid Bergman was a fox, especially in the Hitchcock film Spellbound. Yeah, I want to do Spellbound as well, because I haven't seen that in a really long time. Yeah, the film that inspired the Phantom Killer of Texarkana during the dream sequence. Yep, that's right. But um, but yeah, that's another great movie. That just came out like a year before this one. But yeah, so yeah, so I probably will do spoilers because like I said, it's, it's an older movie. And I know maybe a lot of people haven't seen it, but you know, it's hard to talk about movies without doing spoilers, you know? So I, I usually have a thing where if the movie is old enough, um, then usually I will do spoilers. But if it's new, then I won't, you know? So that's what I'm just saying. So I probably will tell you who the killer is. That's that's all I'm going to say. So Dr. Perry is given uh, Helen a ride and drops her off at the front gates of the estate or whatever. And then there's this really, really good sequence. There's like this really bad storm kind of blows up out of nowhere, right? So it's just like all this wind and rain and stuff. And then Helen starts getting really nervous because as she's going up to the, because it's just like the front gate and there's this big, long fucking driveway or whatever. And so she starts hearing rustling in the bushes, like nearby. So um, the rustling actually turns out to just be like a little bunny rabbit or something. But uh, we, as the audience, see that there's this kind of shadowy figure of a dude standing over like among the trees, like watching her. You know what I mean? So we know there's somebody watching her, but she doesn't know. Um, and then he kind of like, she drops her key like in the mud and is kind of fumbling around for it. And so he kind of starts to come at her, but she doesn't see him. You know what I mean? Um, but then she kind of finds it and she's like, oh shit. Cause she's getting freaked out cause she hears stuff and she wants to get back to the house. She's getting all wet. So she kind of hauls ass to the house. And then you see the stalker person, whoever it is, um, kind of backing off, which is like, oh, you're, and you're assuming he's like, oh, he's waiting for his moment or whatever. So she gets inside the house, and at that point, we kind of are slowly introduced to the rest of the people in the household. So the matriarch of the family is this bedridden woman named Mrs. Warren, and that's Ethel Barrymore. Um, she's real cantankerous, but also kind of awesome. Like, I loved her. She's super cranky, and she's, she's like, my spirit animal. And... She's kind of like, she kind of seems to know everything about everything about like what's going on in the house, even though she seemingly never leaves her room. Like, I don't think she can get up or walk around or anything. So there's that. So she's there. 
there's also her stepson, whose name is Professor Albert Warren. And then she has, because um, yeah, that she's the stepmom. So that's her stepson. And then it's her real son, whose name is Stephen. Now, Stephen is kind of this smirking, playboy, arrogant type dude. And he's just come back from Europe uh, for a visit or whatever. Now, Stephen has also been apparently uh, having an affair. Well, isn't an affair? Neither of them are married. So I guess he's having a relationship with um, Albert's secretary, whose name is Blanche. Uh, she also seems to live in the house, I presume. So um, rounding out the kind of residence potential suspects in the house, because this is like a murder mystery, you know what I mean? Uh, you got a housekeeper named Mrs. Oates, who's actually played by, guess who? Elsa Lanchester. That's right, the Bride of Frankenstein herself. Uh, plays a housekeeper in this one. She's also a lot of fun. Um, she has, her husband is uh, Mr. Oates, who's like the groundskeeper or whatever. He's not in it a huge amount. And um, you have this nurse, Nurse Barker. And this part is kind of funny because there's like a running gag in the movie. I don't know if I call it a gag, but it's kind of like a running thing, like through the movie, where Mrs. Warren like hates the nurse like, she'll, like, the nurse will come in to, like, do stuff, like, give her medicine, and she's like, Helen can do that. Get out of my face. You know what I mean? So it's just, so it's like, Mrs. Warren just, like, hates her so much, and she just, like, she never wants her to do anything except, like, sit out in the hallway and leave her alone. So the nurse is always complaining. He's like, what the hell are you even paying me for? And she's like, I'm paying you to sit out in the hall now. Fuck off. You know what I mean? And it's, like, so funny. But it's, like, I don't know. I just found that really funny. It's not, like, zany. Like, the way they do it, there's there's some humor in the movie, but it's not, like, wacky, over-the-top humor, you know what I mean? Because I know some movies back then kind of had some kind of over-the-top humor in it, but this, it has funny stuff in it, but it's not, like, super wacky funny. But I just thought that was very funny that she's like, I pay you to sit out in the hall, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, the nurse doesn't do anything. Uh, also, you have the adorable and very good boy, Carlton, the bulldog. Um, now, he gets threatened with beatings several times by Mrs. Oates, a.k.a. Elsa Lanchester, because he's constantly, like, underfoot, I guess, and she's always, like, tripping over him. But, um, you know, he, he doesn't get harmed in any way, so don't worry about that. Even though she does kind of be like, I'm going to hit you, you know what I mean? And I was like, don't you? You leave that dog alone. Leave the dogs alone. But he doesn't care. He's fine. And he doesn't even care. He's just like, yeah, whatever, bring it. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, I will also note, spoiler alert, Carlton is not the murderer. So there's that. That would be funny if he if the dog was the murderer. Yeah, Allison said I loved loved Carlton. Carlton was great. He was like the best character. He was just like his little face was just so he's he's like a pug or something, right? Or a bulldog. He's a bulldog rather. I said bulldog before. Why did I say pug? I don't know. Because I was watching a video of a pug earlier. That's why. But yeah, so he's a bulldog and he just has like he's just like eh whatever, just laying around on the floor so everybody can trip over him. Um. Now shortly after Helen gets back in the house. Mrs. Oates finds this window open that she's sure that she closed before. And, you know, like I said, this big storm blew up, so it's kind of like blowing all this wind and rain and shit like that into the window. And she's like, who the hell opened this? And then she, like, almost kind of, like, low-key blames the dog, which I was like, that really would be something if the dog had opened the window. I think she even says, you're not even, you're not that clever, she says to him. And I was like, and the dog's probably like, hey, I totally did open that. That would be, like, super funny. Um, but yeah, so this window is open, so you're just like, uh-oh. You know what I mean? Because you've already seen, like, a dude, like, lurking around outside. And then, um, you actually see, like, the feet, like, the bottom part of the legs and feet of a dude 
who's kind of clearly skulking around, like, in the shadows of the house, like, watching Helen as she's doing her shit, you know what I mean? So you're led to assume that this person has, like, climbed in the window and is now, like, skulking around the house, like I said. So, and is going to kill people. And you're assuming that this is the same person that, you know, killed the lady at the inn earlier and has perhaps followed Helen home. That's what they want you to think, anyway. So Helen, um, cause she's running late and it's funny because everyone bitches at her, even though she's like, dude, well, she doesn't say this, but this is what I would say. She's like, dude, I was out of the movies. Somebody got murdered. Like, so I had to be there for the police investigation or whatever. And then on the way home, like there was a horrible storm. So cut me some slack. You know what I mean? But no, nobody does. So they all kind of yell at her for being late. So she goes up to talk to Mrs. Warren. Um, and the cranky old bat kind of spookily tells her you know you're in danger you should pack your bags and like get the fuck out of this house tonight um you know if you won't go you know i want you to go if you won't go at least stay in this room tonight because i think you're really in danger now she won't specify like who the danger is from or what the danger is specifically but you know considering that we've seen that there is a dude creeping around the house perhaps um, you know, maybe she's psychic and she's maybe onto something, you know? Like I said, they do kind of, um, they kind of build up the fact that they don't say she's psychic or nothing like that, but the, um, like the nurse and stuff is just like, I swear she knows everything that goes on in here, even though she just stays in that room, you know what I mean? So, and just like, and she always seems like she's watching you. So there's that kind of stuff. So happily for Helen, um, you know, as far as having to leave the house and stuff. Dr. Perry, who picked her up before, um, he has pretty much um, professed his love for her and his intention to marry her, and he wants to take her away from the house. Now, specifically, he wants to take her to a specialist in Boston who can maybe help her get her voice back. Now, it's at this point, because before they didn't really say, like, everyone knows she's mute, but nobody really says why. You're you're led to assume that it's some kind of psychological issue, and indeed that is what it turns out to be. So we discover that Helen has been mute since she was a child when she witnessed her house burning down with her parents still in it. Um, you know, so she basically watched her parents burn to death, which, you know, you, you can't blame her for not talking after that. It's a little traumatic. So the scene where we find this out is kind of weird because Dr. Perry apparently went somewhere else and found it because she, because obviously Helen didn't tell anybody like why she was mute. And, um, but Dr. Perry found out from somebody, I guess from her doctor or something from some other doctor. So he found out about it and he comes back and like tells her that he knows. And then he like kind of yells what happened like you know your parents burned to death and the thing like he kind of grabs her by the arms and he's like yelling it to into her face and i was like bro it, you know what i mean it seemed a little strange so um i get that he was maybe um you know and, and he seemed pretty chill up to this point but so he just kind of went it almost like i don't want to say violent but he kind of came across as like you know kind of just gonna shake her you know what i mean because he wanted her to talk and so, I mean, I get that he was trying to, like, force her to confront the trauma um, and get past it so she would be able to talk again. But 
it does kind of come out of left field a little bit. And I kind of wonder if part of the scene's purpose was maybe to cast suspicion on Dr. Perry as the murderer. Because like I said, this is a murder mystery, so everybody is going to have like motive or they're going to try and cast suspicion on like pretty much everybody so you don't guess who it is. You know what I mean? So I wondered if this was like a scene where they were just like, hey, you know, he can flip out and be kind of like that too. So maybe it's him, you know? So there was that because he seemed like pretty nice up to, up to this point. Now, meanwhile, Blanche, who is uh, the professor's uh, secretary. And, you know, she was the one that's been fucking Stephen, the stepson. Or no, he's the real son. Yeah, that's right. So um, so they have a falling out, which is not surprising because Stephen is a, a doucheburger. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he's, he's just a real dick. So, so they have a fight. And Blanche decides, you know what? I'm going to leave this damn house too. I'm going to skedaddle. Like when Helen goes. Like, you know, and Dr. Perry's like, okay, cool. I'll give you a ride. So Blanche goes, okay, I'm going to go pack my shit. I'm going to get out of here too. Now, it so happens at this point that Dr. Perry gets called away to like see another patient in town. So, and it's nighttime at this point. So he tells, okay, well, Helen and Blanche, you guys sit tight until I get back. Like, I'll be back later this evening, and then we'll get the fuck out of here. But later on, he kind of sends word back to them, oh, I won't be able to get back to the estate tonight because the patient that I went to see is, like, way worse than I thought, and I have to stay here with him. You know what I mean? So, and it so happens, too, that the only other, um, one of the other men in the house, who's Mr. Oates, the groundskeeper, he has to get sent into town for um, some ether, because Mrs. Warren, who needed the ether, I guess they just put kept putting that in her face all the time to like wake her back up whenever she went out into one of her fugues or whatever. So somebody stole the ether that was there. Um, they they didn't know who, so it was gone. And so they sent Mr. Oates. They said, "Well, you have to go get some ether." And it, there were, wasn't any in town because Dr. Perry had already said, oh, I looked for some earlier today and they didn't have any. So he's like, well, shit, I have to go to the next town over, which is like a couple hours away. So, so a lot of the men are kind of being sent away. You know what I mean? So there's that kind of thing. Now, it so happens that after Dr. Perry leaves, uh, Blanche goes down to the basement to get her suitcase to put all her shit in and she gets murdered by this person that's been skulking around the house, apparently. So there's that. Now, I'm gonna say, like I said, and this is spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, you know, this is a very old movie. Uh, Nostalgic Top Hat says, be sure to read the source book for the 1930s. It holds up well. I actually would like to read the book. I haven't read the book. Um, but yeah, I, I usually like to read the books that these uh, movies are based on. So up to this point, um, the movie has been leaning pretty hard into the theory that Steven is the killer. And there's a bunch of stuff like pointing to this. Like for example, earlier in the story, like near the beginning when the murder thing was, ha when the murder was happening at the inn slash movie theater situation, the constable says, oh, well, we've tracked the killer to this area, like where this family's house is, the estate is. Um, the murders only started after Stephen got back to town from Europe. Um, as I mentioned, he's portrayed as just this real arrogant douche who 
sort of like Loki sexually harasses Blanche like every time he gets the chance. He's super pushy. And he also lies to the cops about being outside the house. Like when they tell him, it's like, did you even, he's like, I didn't even leave the house today. Even though like later on his uh, stepbrother is all like, you've got mud all over your shoes though. You know what I mean? So why'd you lie to the police? So there's that. Now he says he lied to the police because it's like, oh, I was outside cavorting with Blanche and I didn't want anybody to know about it. Um, but you know, he still lied to the cops about it. So they thought that was kind of sus. Now, because of all of this stuff, um, you're also led to assume that Mrs. Warren, who is Stephen's mom, also thinks he's the murderer. Because at one point, she very cryptically says that, um, and she says this to Helen, it's like, oh, there's always trouble when he comes home. That's what she says. There's always trouble. Now, because of all of this setup, I'm pretty sure that moder modern audiences, because we know all the tropes by now, um, will pretty likely guess that it isn't him. Uh, because it's really never the most obvious suspect. And, and you know, this was pretty early days. Um, but I think even by this point, like, that trope was pretty well established. It's never, because in mystery novels and stuff like that, it's never the most obvious person. And if the mystery writer is good enough, then they can, you know, make the murderer, like, at the end. Like, you didn't guess it was them, but then, like, once it's revealed, you're like, oh, that makes total sense. But sometimes... And I don't think it was the case with this, maybe a little bit, but um, it's a case where they push really hard, like for you to think, hey, this is like red herring, red herring, like it's this person. And then so you know that it's not that person because they're not going to make it that easy for you. <laughs> like they're not going to make it that obvious. And you know that they're trying to like distract from somebody else. So I feel like, like I said, I don't, I feel like this was like right on the edge because they were, it was very clear that they were trying to make you think that it was Steven. So like I said, modern audience that I was just kind of like, well, it can't be him because they really want me to think it's him. So I know it's not. Um, so Helen, though, probably not surprisingly, because even his Stephen's mom thinks it's him. Helen also thinks it's him. So she's the one she goes, she's down in the basement. I can't remember why she went down there, but she goes down there and she's the one that finds Blanche's body. And then Stephen shows up conveniently, like seconds later. And you know, again, understandably, she freaks the fuck out, like, as you would, and just bolts. And then she does the smart thing and locks his ass in the cellar because she thinks he's the killer, right? Then she attempts to call the police, I guess, momentarily in her panic, like, forgetting that she can't talk. So, so she picks up the phone, and it's 1906, so phones were not, were kind of a new technology, you know what I mean? So she picks it up, and then she's just kind of, you can see the look in her face, like, oh, shit, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of forgot. And, like, the lady at the other end is like, you know, what, what's going on? Like, number please, or whatever the, the operator is saying. And she's just sitting there, like, flipping out because she can't say anything. Um, so then she sees Albert, the stepbrother. And she's just like flipping out and she's like running to him and she's like, and then so she writes down, she's like, Stephen killed Blanche. And it's like, and I locked him in the cellar, you know? Now, at this point, I admit for a second, I was just kind of like, wouldn't it be something? Because I, I was just being fanciful earlier when I said, wouldn't it be funny if they made the bulldog the killer? Because <laughs> that, that really would be something, wouldn't it? But I said, um, wouldn't it be funny if they made it that Dr. Perry was the killer, just because it would have been such a surprise because he was the least obvious motherfucker, right? Um, in hindsight, I'm glad that they did not do that. 
because there wasn't really any buildup for that. There wasn't anything pointing to him being guilty other than that one scene where he very strangely got very intense, like an interface about, and your parents burned to death, you know what I mean? And I was just like, bro, you know what I mean? Chill out. Um, like I said, I get what he was trying to do. He's a doctor and he was trying to help her and everything like that. But I was like, that's still kind of fucked up. Um, so I was like, but there wasn't anything else like pointing to him being that. And so I feel like if they had made him the killer, it would have been just kind of like a cheap maneuver just for shock value or whatever. So it turns out, again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah, Allison said the cat did it. I mean, maybe. I mean, the cat the cat pushed something off the, off the mantle and it fell on their head and killed them. I'm sure that there has been at least one time in history that that must have happened. So the cat really did do it. And the cat doesn't give a shit either. It's just like, eh, whatever. Just pushing stuff, just pushing stuff off the mantle like you do. So, so there was that. So spoiler alert, it, tur- it turns out that the killer is actually the first person that I thought it was. Like as soon as this character was introduced, I was just kind of like, oh, that's the motherfucker right there. And I was right. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? This, it was the first person that, that I thought of. Um, it turned out to be Professor Albert. That's who the killer is. And his motivation, they don't go super into, because like I said, this was the 40s and the book came out in the 1930s. So you didn't really get, you know, he was a serial killer, but you didn't really get these kind of deep dives into like serial killer psychology like you would maybe get nowadays. Um, You know, even Psycho didn't really have that too much. They just kind of had a little bit of exposition at the end, like as to why Norma Bates did what he did. And it was still, it was the same kind of thing here where they had established earlier on that um, both Albert and Stephen, um, they had the same dad, you know what I mean? Because the Mrs. Warren was the stepmom. So they had the same father. But their father was like this big, like great white hunter type. And he thought basically that both of the sons were pansies, uh, essentially. They didn't use that word, but that's what he meant. Um, you know, none of them liked hunting and none of them liked guns. And they weren't manly man and, and everything like that. So they were like big, huge disappointments. So he would always... Um, kind of berate them for being you know weak ass bitches or whatnot so because um all of that had so warped albert's sensibility that he decided that he was going to target people who were weak and imperfect in some way hence why he went after women that had disabilities because they had something wrong with them so obviously they needed to be eliminated you know what i mean so that's kind of like i said it's not it wasn't a huge like psychological thing but they kind of just went into a little bit like that's why he killed people he was also so sneaky because i'm sitting there thinking well it's like what he only just started killing people just now like even though he's like in his 40s or however old he was but what he was doing was that he would only do shit like he would only commit crimes when Steven was home so that he could kind of like blame it on him. You know what I mean? Like he was trying to like allay suspicion because Steven was such a douche that everybody believed, even his mom believed he was the killer, which that's got to hurt. You know what I mean? So there was that. Um, but yeah, so he had enough self-control to like wait until Steven was home and he's like, oh, now I'm going to go out and kill a bunch of people and then they'll just think it's him even though they can't really prove it. You know what I mean? So it's that kind of thing. So at this point... Uh, Albert reveals this. He's like, oh, I'm so glad that you locked Stephen in the basement. Like, all of the men are gone now. Like, Mr. Oates went to town, and Dr. Perry had to go on a on a thing, and, um, you know, and then you locked Stephen in the basement, so, uh, ha you know, now I'm, now I'm gonna kill you, because she is also imperfect, because she can't talk. So, at the last minute, I love this ending. I have to say, I, lo- I love this. 
at the last minute, like, she's just like, oh, shit, like, and he's gonna kill her. And then <laughs> the badass elderly Avenger, Mrs. Warren, staggers out her bed for the first time. I didn't even know she could walk, actually. She just kind of staggers out to bed and blows her fucking stepson away with her husband's hunting rifle. Just blam, 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 blam. She just, like, fucking shoots the shit up. They don't show it. Like, they show the gun going off, and he just kind of slides down the wall. But they don't show bullet holes like they would nowadays because, you know, it's the 40s. They can't show people getting, like, blasted like that. Um, and I love, too, how he's sliding down the wall like, oh, shit, like, he's dying and stuff, and she's like, murder her. You know what I mean? Like, she just, like, wanted him to hear her say it like while he was dying i'm like that is fucking rad i love that so yeah he's he's like sliding down the wall and dying and she's like saying murder to his face and i was like that is badass um so helen i mean because you know any movie i think every movie that i've ever seen that had a mute character um something traumatic is going to happen and they're going to scream and then they're going to be able to talk again and um you know what i mean um and like i said this was the 40s so this was probably not a huge trope but then nowadays you know that if there's a mute character, something bad's going to happen, they're going to scream, and then they're like, oh, yeah, I can talk, you know what I mean? And that's what happens here. She sees him get shot, and she's like, wah, you know what I mean? And she freaks out, and then she decides she can talk again. So, um, Stephen gets released from the basement. He's probably a little put out, I imagine. And Mrs. Warren, um, who, you know, staggering out of her bed and shooting her stepson has plum-tuckered her out. I mean, she's dying anyway. Um... Now, she actually, to her credit, does profusely apologize to Stephen for thinking that he was the killer this whole time. And I was like, well, that's nice that she did that anyway. And it's just like, she's, so she's basically laying in uh, her son's arms and she's like, I'm so sorry. Just, you know, I thought it was you all this time and stuff like that. And then she dies. But at least she said that like before she died. So that was kind of nice. Um, and then Helen uh, goes to the phone and calls Dr. Perry um, you know, and she's finally able to speak to him for the first time and probably being like, get me the fuck out of here. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so there's that. So uh, like I said, this is on Plex at the moment. Um, so you can watch it for free and it's really good. I liked it a lot. It's like, you know, one of the best horror, horror adjacent movies from the 1940s. Um, you know, the cinematography is really nice. Um, the acting is really good. I especially liked Ethel Barrymore's character. She was fantastic. But, um, you know, uh, the woman that played Helen, Dorothy um, McGuire, was good, too. Um, everybody in this is really, really good. Um, and it's really suspenseful. Um, actually, some contemporary critics compared it, like, to an Alfred Hitchcock movie. So, you know what I mean? Um, you know, it, and it is kind of, it is very Hitchcockian. Now, as I said, it'll be probably pretty obvious to modern viewers who the killer is, like, from pretty early on. Um, because, and that's not, and that's not a ding on the writing or anything like that. That's just because we've seen so many movies like that, like that since, um, you know, that time period. So it's like everybody's familiar with the tropes now in a way that they maybe weren't as much in the 1940s. So, you know, so, so I don't really think that that's too much of a, a detriment, um, cause it's still a great watch in spite of that. And I really like the way they balanced, um, just kind of like this creepy suspenseful atmosphere, with kind of occasional hints of levity. Like I said, there is funny stuff in it, like the whole uh, running gag about the nurse that Mrs. Warren hates, but still keeps her on the payroll for some reason, like that you never find out what that reason is. Um, you know, and the stuff with Mrs. Oates, like Elsa Lanchester's character, like keeps tripping over the dog. And Oh, and there's also, I forgot to mention this, but um, Mrs. Oates, there's also like funny scenes where she's um, kind of a drunk 
and so she's always like con- like trying to conspire to kind of get so there's like a really funny scene where she's trying to like go into the cellar and like get some brandy without the guy like without the professor like finding out about it so she's kind of like brings a candle in there and she's like oh whoops i dropped it and then she's like Shoop, and then like put the stuff in the pocket it's like i thought that was like really funny but like i said it's like it's not super zany but it's just kind of like i don't know it was just kind of like drolly funny i found it really really amusing because I, I love Elsa Lanchester and she's like super charming in this. She's not in it a huge amount because she just plays the housekeeper, but she's in it quite a bit. So I love the scene where she was like stealing the, <laughs> she was like stealing the brandy from the cellar. So that was like pretty awesome. Um, so, I mean, if you're at all into classic horror horror from this era, um, yeah, you should definitely see this one. And like I said, if you're real into slashers, you might want to give it a look too because... Um, it's kind of like a very early, it's not a slasher movie, but there are slasher elements. Like you'll see stuff that kind of came about like later on. So it might be interesting to see, like if you're into later slashers, like from a historical perspective, like it might be interesting to see where some of that came from. Um, so yeah, it's, like I said, it's great. Everybody should see it. Um, I don't talk about it that much in my history of horror video that I'm going to put up eventually whenever I get it and finish editing it. Um, cause I just mentioned it on there, but I think me mentioning it made me want to watch it again. So that's kind of why I ended up talking about it today. Um, Danny says that sounds like the ending of blood rage. That's another one that I, we haven't done that one, have we? That was another one that I need to do. Um, Tammy said off topic, but I saw where they're thinking about making another season of Mindhunters. I heard about that too. I heard about that too. I kind of want to see that. <laughs> um, let's see. New Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I will wrap this up, like I said, because <sighs> this has cheered me up, though. Like <laughs> talking about a movie about serial killers. <laughs> this is a good movie. I like talking about movies. You know what I mean? So kind of take my mind off things for a little while. Tammy said, send Tom our best. Oh, I definitely will. Um, like I said, I might FaceTime with him later tonight um and we'll see what's going on and for wednesday night's show i'll still do wednesday night show but like i said there was a poll and you know jeffrey epstein was in the poll and obviously that won by a significant margin and i was like wait i can't do the jeffrey epstein show without tom here because we really he really needs to be here for that so i said well what i'll do is i'll just do on wednesday night's show because i'm i'm 95 percent sure that tom won't be back by the time of wednesday night um then i'll just do what the second place winner which was nasa zone f which was something i didn't really know there's not a huge amount of information about it but it'll i think it'll be a good show anyway i didn't know anything about it and i just kind of like looked it up and it has to do with um megalodons too so we got to talk about megalodon so i'll just do that one because i said well i can do that one on my own without because like i said the jeffrey epstein thing tom has to be here for this so i'm going to push that back till the following week so we can do that one together so that's what we're gonna do um but yeah tammy said this chat has made my crappy day better oh that's good that's good see it always like i said it always kind of cheers me up like doing this because before i was just kind of like man it's just because i only just heard like the news from tom like 20 minutes before this and i was just kind of like oh man that's a bummer and it's like do i even want to i thought it would be weird but i was just kind of like no I, it'll be okay like it'll it'll cheer me up so, so there's that, but yeah, so, um, hopefully you guys have a good rest of your evening and thanks everybody for stopping by and talking to me tonight, uh, and cheering me up 
And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys again on Wednesday night. So have a good night.